The message entitled Josiah the King. One day, as you know, God sent a prophet to pronounce judgment to um, Jeroboam at the altar at Bethel. The kingdom had become divided through Solomon's son, Rehoboam, and it became idolatrous. As uh, the prophet proclaimed the judgment that was to come over the house of Jeroboam and over the altar specifically, the um, idolatrous king began to point his finger to arrest and to seize that prophet, and his arm withered. And he interceded for him, and God healed him. But the judgment was already proclaimed, and it would come to pass. The interesting thing is he invited the prophet to come back with him to refresh himself, but the prophet said he could not. God would not allow him to go back the same way or to turn into anybody else. And so he went on his way. As he went on his way, a couple of children were aware of what happened. They came to an old prophet there in the city and told him all about the event. The prophet said, where is he? Which way did he go? They pointed to the direction. The old prophet came to him and said, are you that prophet that, you know, proclaimed the judgment? Yes. He says, well, I'm a prophet also. And an angel appeared to me and told me to tell you to come back and eat with me. And so he went. And as they're communing and fellowshipping, the prophet prophesied the death of that disobedient prophet. And as you know, it took place as he left on the road with his donkey and the lion killed him. Donkey was sitting there, so the lion wasn't hungry. Why would a man who knows the word of God and knows exactly the specific instructions God gave him, what to do, what not to do, would believe someone who just says he's from God too and gives him a message that contradicts what God gave him, even if it's an angel. Paul says, even if an angel come to you other and give you something we have not given to you, let him be anathema, the stronger word damnation. There's so much going on today in terms of experience and extra biblical things and all the junk that goes on in the church today. But it's nothing new. It's in every generation, ladies and gentlemen. The Word of God is the most important thing for your life. Very, very important. Both prophets being dead now for over 300 years, both the true who was deceived and the false that deceived. God's Word would come to pass through this king before us, King Josiah. See, God's Word, whether it's a day, an hour, a month, a year, or a thousand years, if God says He's going to do something, He will do it. And yet people say, well, the Bible's just a book like any other book. I don't think so. You'd have to be a complete fool to believe that. If you did your own investigation, you could not conclude that. You can only repeat that because somebody has told you that. You may not agree with the Bible, you not be, may not believe the Bible, but if you look and you read the Bible, you would be amazed of the detailed prophecies that are given. Let's look to the life of Josiah. It's characterized by three things. First, the reign of Josiah was godly through faith and obedience. There's a good foundation. Secondly, the reform of Josiah was wholehearted, but not by all the people. There's a caution. And thirdly, we'll look at the removal of Josiah was part of life. 
That's everybody's destiny. Sooner or later, you and I are going to die if the Lord tarries. Let's begin here with the reign of Josiah. He was godly through faith and obedience. Now, all these records are found in two places, in 2 Chronicles 34 and then uh, 2 Kings 22. Um, Josiah was not one who had um, the advantage of a godly home for the first eight years of his life. And I want you to pay close attention to this. He was eight years old when he became king, 2 Chronicles 34, 1 says. Eight years old. Some of you are in your teens. It's never too early. Would to God I had come to Christ early in my life. I did not. Josiah inherited his father's evil throne. His father was Ammon. Josiah came from a long line of evil men. His grandfather was Manasseh. You know who Manasseh was? He was the son of Hezekiah. The most wicked king who corrupted the nation more than anybody else. This was during the 15 years of extended life that God gave to Hezekiah as he sent Isaiah to him and told him to get his house in order. And he started crying like a little girl. And so God sent the prophet back and said, I'm going to give you 15 years. It was during those 15 years that Manasseh was born. What to God that Hezekiah would have just gone home? That God would remove me rather than leave me and I add to my own hurt and the hurt of God's people. It's better to go home. And yet God took Manasseh into captivity. He repented and God forgave him and God restored him to his throne. Wow. That's the type of God that you serve, ladies and gentlemen. You cannot excuse or get away from the consequences, but your sin will be forgiven. And you've got to deal with God to draw from His grace to handle the consequences honorably, respectfully, to His glory. He reigned for 31 years in Jerusalem from 642 609 B.C., 2 Chronicles 34, 1 says, And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, as David did. He did not deviate, it says in verse 2. So, so young. He's serving the Lord. I think of the children that come here. They're so joyous. They just, they love it. They love to go in there. And we don't entertain your children. We teach them. We don't give them cookies and, and milk. We teach them the Word of God. His mother's name was Jeredah, the daughter of Boscath. Not too many women are mentioned, but they're mentioned when they're key in terms of the genealogies. Now, Josiah was personally committed to seek the Lord at age 16, Second Chronicles 34, 3-7 tells us. He began to seek the God of his father, David, in the eighth year of his reign while he was still young at the age of 16. A youth. I didn't come to the Lord till I was 23 years old. Would to God I would have come to the Lord at 16 years of age. <laughs> but I didn't. Everybody's going to be different. God's grace. He then, in this 12th year, began to purge Judah and Jerusalem. Second Chronicles 34, 3-7 tells us, Josiah Remove the high places, the wooden images, the carved images, the molten images at age 20, verse 3 tells us. 
Remember, the city had been corrupted and polluted and just dilapidated and everything else, just corrupted completely through the years of many evil kings. It's a big job. Josiah broke down the altars of Baal, all the idolatry. He made dust of them. He scattered them on their graves of those who sacrificed to them, as well as burning the bones of the priests on their altars, desecrating them. One thing that a Jew didn't want, to desecrate his ashes, that pull out his bones and scatter them out before the sun and the moon. And yet these uh, false priests and prophets and everything, this is exactly what he did to them. Josiah did this throughout Manasseh, Ephraim, and Simeon, as far as, as far as Naphtali and all around throughout the land of Israel, and then returned to Jerusalem, verse 6 and 7 says. So he has committed to the work of God, to honor God, to bring the people of God back to God. Now, you as parents do the same thing for your children. You're to be like that, committed, not moved by your children. You cannot force your children, your sons and daughters, but you can give them the way and show them the way and pray for them and hold the mark. That's important. Now, Josiah was obedient to God's word found in the temple, as you know, as they're dealing with the temple in 2 Kings 22 and in 2 Chronicles 34 here. This is 10 years after seeking God at age 26, so uh, at 16. So now he's 26 years of age. When I was 26 years old, I had my firstborn, Mandy, just yesterday. She's now 42. Where did time go? Amazing. Josiah sends Shaphan, the scribe, to Helkiah, the high priest, to count the money in the house of God and deliver it to the men who were repairing the house there in 2 Kings 22. The interesting detail about these men is that they were so godly unto the Lord and so on fire, there was no accountability for the money that was given to them, which is a little different. Faithful, godly men in this terrible time. Now, Hilkiah, the high priest, told Shaphan that he had found a book of the law in the house of God. And Shaphan read it there uh, in the temple in 2 Kings 22.8. And the book of the law refers to the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. They were written by Moses, as you know. Now, whether it was the original one that was to be kept inside the ark of the covenant as commanded by God in Deuteronomy 31, 26, we don't know. Or whether it was the king's copy that he was to write for himself and read it all the days of his life to not exalt himself above his brethren in Deuteronomy 17, 18, we don't know. But it contained the five books. Interesting, when you read commentaries, you always have opinions of men just like we all have opinions. Alexander White, in his commentary, said that for all practical purposes, if it were not for Josiah, we would not have the first five books of the Bible, and the Bible would have begun with the book of Joshua. I don't think so. <laughs> Listen, when God has to depend upon you and me to preserve his word, we're in, he's in trouble. <laughs> God is directing and guiding. He allowed this book to be found. He preserves his word. Many men and women have tried to destroy this Bible. The Bible's still here. They're gone. His word will be forever. 
Now Shaphan, the scribe, then went to the king and reported about the reconstruction and the fact that Hilkiah had found a book and give, gave it to him and read it before the king there in 2 Kings 22, 9 through 10. Josiah, at the hearing of the words, as God had warned and Israel had rebelled and the judgment had fallen upon Judah, just tore his clothes in verse 11 of 2 Kings 22. In grief and lamentation and sorrow, agony. Now the high priest didn't tear his clothes. The scribe didn't tear his clothes. But the king did. He was the leader. He was ultimately God's representative for the nation. As the king. How important it is for you as parents to be those leaders for your children. For those of your family looking upon you. For those who are your friends who don't know Christ. That there's never any doubt as to who you are. That you're on a whole different road. They may not like it, but but they understand. They see it clearly. How important it is when God raises a man or a woman to be used by him regarding the influence of their leadership. Moms, you have no idea how influential you are to your children as you teach them, instruct them, pray for them, care for them, are with them, homeschool them. You make their beds, you wipe their faces, you tell them to shut the refrigerator door a thousand times a day, turn off the light, pick up your clothes. You're marking your children, ladies. They will rise up and call you blessed one day. Between now and then, they're going to call you many other things, so you have to be, you have to be patient, Okay. Josiah then commanded Hilkiah and the others to go inquire of God concerning the book. For all Judah, since um, their fathers had not obeyed the word and incurred his wrath, there in 2 Kings 22, 12 and 13. Hilkiah and the others went to Huldah, the prophetess, in verse 14 through 20. She was in Jerusalem, the second quarter, perhaps a reference to her circuit, as prophets had circuits, we're not sure. And she sent the men back to the king with the word of the Lord that God would bring calamity on the inhabitants as he had read from the word as they had provoked God, verse 15 and 17 said. But she had a personal message for Josiah that due to the fact that he had his heart tender towards God and humbled himself before the Lord that when he read the judgment in the book that he would not bring it in his day. Mercy. God is so merciful to you and I, ladies and gentlemen. No one knows better than you how God has all the right to just destroy me. No one knows it better than I. And as you turn your heart to him, he's so merciful. He's so gracious. He's like someone you will never meet on this earth. He's totally different than us. Why did Josiah not send them to Jeremiah 
or Zephaniah, we're not told. They were the contemporaries. But the instrument is irrelevant. The important thing is that the message that God gives to the instrument, that it be communicated without corrupting it. Clearly, simple, straightforward. This is the word of God. Today, there's such cloudiness about God's word. The emergent church says, well, we can't learn any objective truth, so we just kind of dialogue. And everybody gives their own opinion on what do you think about this verse? And they all walk away all, all nice and they go have their brewski or whatever. Wow. Different kind of church, huh? No, this is God's word. This is what God says. He's not asking for your opinion or mine. He's not bothered about your concerns that it might not be God's word. He'll do everything to reach you. And he will give every opportunity so that when you stand before God or I or anybody who would reject it, they would have no excuse whatsoever. One put it this way, you call me master, obey me not. You call me light, you see me not. You call me way and walk not. You call me life and desire me not. You call me wise and follow me not. You call me fair and love me not. You call me rich and ask me not. You call me eternal and seek me not. You call me gracious and trust me not. You call me noble and serve me not. You call me mighty and honor me not. You call me just and fear me not. If I condemn you, blame me not. Every man and woman will stand before God. It's appointed unto man to die once and then the judgment. There will be no mistakes. There will be no information will have to be handed to God. Every mouth will be stopped before God in that day. What a wonderful reminder Josiah is to each of us of the power of God to change people's hearts. Regardless of their home life, their background, or their failures. We are saved by grace through faith and not of ourselves the gift of God, Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says. Just as grace, unmerited favor. Titus 3, 5 says, not by works of righteousness, but by the regeneration of the Spirit of God. But note carefully, and don't miss this, it's very important because of the cultural day that we're living in true atheism of a variety of self-made religions. One of the most prominent ones is this whole thing of blaming others for your sin. Josiah had a terrible father, a horrible grandfather. And yet he could not use that as an excuse. You cannot blame your father if you had a bad father. Your bad father should have taught you to be a good father. And not to be like him. In fact, Ezekiel 18 and 33 gives you certain cases like that. So no one, this whole philosophy of dysfunctionalism or blaming others holds no water with God. God wants to deal with your heart and he can transform you. People say, well, you know, I didn't have a father, so, you know, I have a tainted view of God. Do you, do you really believe that you're going to equate your father to God? Don't insult God. If you believe that he's God, then you know he can never be like your father. 
He'd be just opposite of your father. Your father was evil. You don't have to be a Christian to know that. God is able to build you up, cleanse you, set your feet on solid ground. And now you're a messenger to your father, to your mother, to whoever it is. What God can do in the heart of a young person, of an adult. All this psychobabble that goes on within the church today. It's nauseating. God's children are not whiners. They just cry out to him for wisdom and strength. (laughs) Very important. What an example Josiah is to each of us to grow progressively spiritually every day. To grow, develop, and mature on every level. Regardless of what age you are, when you come to the Lord, you're always progressing. You never stop. You know when you stop? When you give your last breath. Until then, you keep growing, you keep maturing, you keep developing. It's important, that's why it's important for you to be here on Sunday mornings, the middle of the week, and the ladies' study, the men's studies. Because you are the church. Don't just come to church, be the church. So that you're growing, developing, maturing. Building relationships. See, I I believe that you should have come here already prepared to be used of God. The minute you drove into the parking lot, you're a loaded gun ready to be used of God. Because you prayed, Lord, go before me. Bring whoever you want to me so I can minister to them or pray for them. Or Lord, whatever you have. Lord, let me be sensitive to the people around Because you're here to serve, not to be served, right? That's what we're here for, ladies and gentlemen. We're not here to see who has the greatest uh, clothes on and the most expensive car. (laughs) That's irrelevant. But you believe God can speak to you. You believe God can guide you and direct you. If you come to hear me, you'll be sorely disappointed. It won't take long. But if you come to hear God, then God will speak to your heart. Whether I'm speaking out of Leviticus, Jude, Titus, doesn't matter. God will speak to you. Paul put it this way, not that I have already attained or I'm already perfected. But I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ has also laid hold on me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do. Here's the one thing. Very important. Listen. Forgetting those things that are behind and reaching forward to the things that are ahead, I press towards the goal, the price of the upward call of God at Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. One thing you must do if you're going to grow, develop, and mature. Ready? We're getting what's behind. If you're always looking backwards, you cannot go forwards. If you don't believe me when you leave here, I want you to get in your car and I want you to go forward looking backward. You're going to have a big expense today. You're going to crash. That's a picture of too many Christians. So they don't grow, they don't develop, they don't mature. They're always wetting their pants, spiritually speaking. Scraping their knees. Sucking on the bottle. Now that's a legitimate point when you bring the baby home. 
But if he's 18 and says, where's my bottle? We got a problem. What a great exhortation Josiah has to us about obedience to God's word so that we can hear and see God's hand on our lives. You walk with him. You hear him. You cry out to him. At night you can't sleep. Do you just toss and just waste time? Talk to him. Read the Psalms. David would turn in his bed when he was in agony and in tears and cried out to him and when he couldn't sleep. Pray for those that are in need. Don't waste time. Get up, read the word. But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things which I say, Luke 6, 46 says. If you know these things, blessed are you, happy are you, if you do them, John 13, 17. Blessed are those who do his commandments that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gate into the city, Revelation 2, 14. Our obedience to God by his grace, having saved us by grace. The reign of Josiah was godly through faith and obedience. This is the markings of the godly people of God. Always. Next comes his reform. The reform of Josiah was wholehearted, but not by all the people. Josiah restored the worship of Yahweh in 2 Kings 23 and in 2 Chronicles 34. He gathered all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem to him in the first verse of chapter 23 because they are the ones responsible to God for the people. They're not God, but they oversee you. The elders and the ushers, all here, they're here to serve you, to oversee you, to protect you, to guide you, to do whatever they can for you. They have a great responsibility. He went up to the house of the Lord with all the men, elders, the priests, and the prophets, and he read the book in their hearing. Second Chronicles 23, 2 says, His word. For the last 37 years, I have given you God's word. If I had not given you God's word, what would I have told you for 37 years that would have been of any good to you, let alone kept you interested? There's so much stuff in the Bible I could never exhaust it. Ever. Because it's God's word. This is what you need. This is what I need. This is what the world needs. This is what our nation needs. God's word. He and the people made a covenant before the Lord to follow him and to keep his word. So not just hearing, like James says, don't be just a hearer, but a doer. Don't be like that guy in the mirror, forgetting what you look like when you walk away. What the heck would I look like? He commanded Helkiah, the high priest, and the elders, the others, to bring out all the um, that pertain to Baal, Asherah, the host of heaven, and um, burn them outside Jerusalem in the fields of Kidron and carry their ashes to Bethel in 2 Kings 23, 4. So he just desecrated all those idolatrous places, all the worship centers there. And he then removed all the idolatrous priests, the images, and the pagan deities also, from verse 5 to 20. Josiah defiled Tophet, the valley of the sons of Hinnom, where they made their children pass through the fire in the worship of Molech, verse 10 says. The valley of Hinnom was where they worshiped Molech. Molech was that god of 
of, of fertility god like Asherah. and their arms would stand out they would heat them up hot red and then they would place their babies on their arms to sacrifice them you see all the religions the majority of them were fertility gods people hey, they're very popular religions you know you know, sexual freedom, do what you want. You know, I feel comfortable with my skin. Is that what we say? No. But see, you got a problem. When you have that kind of religion, you have a lot of babies that you don't want. So what do you do? You kill them. We're no different today. Number of abortions, the millions, 27 or so. Million. Now, all the men that have died in wars since the beginning of time don't even come close to the abortion number. And those men were killed by enemies. The babies have been killed by their own mothers. Wow. This is the type of God we serve that He can forgive that also when there's repentance. Amazing. Amazing. Josiah fulfilled the prophecy of the prophet that came to Bethel to prophesy against Jeroboam. At the altar. He was the one. 300 years later, here it is. Fulfills it. God can't lie. He attempted to make the worship of Yahweh unified from the north to the southern kingdom. But the nation had been too corrupted, as you know. But it didn't stop him from trying and from living for God and, 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 and commanding for people to not live in a certain way. Morals, ethics... Public decency. Hmm. Josiah executed the priests. Verse 20. Today we glorify the evil person. We protect the evil person. We decriminalize the law. If they would have told me in the 60s that one day pot would be legal, medicinal, I would have said, you smoking a big one. But our nation has fallen greatly. We see the havoc because we've asked God to step out of our nation. It's only God's mercy where we're at, ladies and gentlemen. His incredible mercy. It'll take all eternity for us to worship Him. Truly will. We just have a glimpse of it right now, who he really is. Josiah reinstated the Passover in Second Kings 23 and Second Chronicles 35. He kept the Passover in the 18th year of his reign and slaughtered the lambs in the 14th day of the month, Second Chronicles 35.1. Everything according to the word. This is important for you and I. That whatever you do, do according to the word. Don't add to it. Don't take away from it. Don't just make it subjective. Read it in its context. Be a good student. Be like a Berean to examine, to find out those things are so. When you hear a person say something in the pulpit, mark it down. Look at the scriptures. If he's wrong, go ask him. If he doesn't want to explain something, get away from him. We're all learning. We all make mistakes. Sometimes I miss the text. Sometimes I look at my own notes 20 years ago. What the heck was I thinking there? Okay. All right. Got to correct that. We're growing. But there's no excuse for laziness or incompetence for the study of the Word of God. Very important. 
He gave the priests, the Levites, everything that necessary, and he gave the people the lambs and the goats. He was very gracious. He not only led them and commanded them, but he provided for them what was needed for their worship and for and he was that example. He witnessed the sacrifices, the roasting of the Passover lamb, partaking of the priests. He heard the singing of the priests. They kept the feast of unleavened bread. Wow. These feasts had not been celebrated for a long, long time. He had kept the Passover unlike any other king since the days of Samuel, surpassing even Hezekiah in Second Chronicles 35, 18 and 20, it said. Incredible young man at 16. He begins to reign at 8. At 16, he's cleaning up Jerusalem. Wow. Josiah so thoroughly turned to God that he put away those consulting mediums and spirits in Second Kings 23, 24. Today, they are embraced by the um, academic world in the universities, even consulted by law enforcement at times, and they're considered to be something good. The Bible is very clear that demons and the wizards and the occult and all that is bad. It's from Satan. Today, the buzzword is, I'm spiritual. They could be occultic, I'm spiritual, because everything is gray. There's no objective judgment, right? Everything's good. We can learn from everybody. We're all inclusive, right? No. It's not what the Bible teaches. There's a zoom between the moon and the sun. One gives light, the other one reflects it. There's a difference between right and wrong. Moral and moral. Up, down. Left, right. There's a difference. Yet remember that the reform and repentance was superficial, even hypocritical by some. And Jeremiah and Zephaniah make this very clear that they're speaking against the superficiality of men's hearts. I used this illustration Thursday, but it bears repeating. Listen carefully. When Queen Victoria had just ascended her throne, she went into as a custom of royalty, to hear the Messiah render. And she had been instructed by her um, um, people that oversaw her and conducted her life and that, that um, she must not stand at the Hallelujah Chorus because she's the queen, of course, right? And when the magnificent chorus was being sung and the singers shouted, Hallelujah, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns, she sat with great, great difficulty. It seemed that she would um, rise up in spite of the custom of kings and queens. And finally, when they came to that part of the chorus where with a shout they proclaimed him king of kings, suddenly the young queen rose to her feet, stood, bowed her head as if she would take her crown off her head and cast it to his feet. This is what God's after, ladies and gentlemen, that you would bow your heart to him and realize who he is and how great he is to worship him. Let Josiah remind us that if we're going to worship God, we must worship him according to the scriptures. In John four twenty three, Jesus, the woman of Samaria, says, but the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers of, uh, will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. 
For the Father seeks such to worship Him. Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Truth, the objective Word of God. They are one. They're not in contradiction. The Spirit never adds anything or contradicts anything of the Word of God. They are one. Josiah knew that the true worship has to have a true God in mind or it's self-deception. Men and women shape their gods according to their own image. Romans chapter 1 tells us very clearly. When they knew God, they didn't want to glorify Him as God, but they worshiped the creature more than the creator, which is blessed forevermore. Worshiping four-footed beasts, so on and so forth, corrupting the use of the woman, the man, and the homosexuality. Nobody wants to touch that today. The Bible, God, God's not afraid of touching it. He says, it's a fact. It's a corruption of my creation. It's unnatural. Listen carefully. No fornicator. No drunkard. No sodomite. No homosexual. And many others will not inherit the kingdom of God. Notice, I'm including fornicators. I'm not picking on homosexuals. It's just one of the sins that will damn you. Very, very clear. In our all-inclusiveness of subjectivism, we have handed humanity over to destruction in many, many ways. Many ways. Jeremiah 7, 2 through 4 says, Stand in the gate of the Lord's house, God sends Jeremiah, and proclaim there these words and say, Hear the word of the Lord, all you Judah, and enter in to these gates to worship the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, amend your ways and your doings, and I will cause you to dwell in this place. Do not trust in these lying lips, saying, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord are these. Oh, they were the temple, just worshiping God, just this. And, you know, and, and Jeremiah said, you guys are going to captivity, man. God's going to just pour out his wrath. Ah, you can't. This is the temple, and we're just in God's house, and God would never... All right. God sends his prophet right at the gate, stand at the gate as they're coming in. Do you know how many people go to church and went to church today and are there right now? That are the same character as the days that we're reading? Because churches don't give out the word of God. They, they just motivate their motivational speakers. They've sanitize the Bible from the word sin, repentance, God's wrath, hell, His second coming, the rapture, the judgment that He did the first time, the Tower of Babel. They just sanitize the Bible. Wow. The reform of Josiah was wholehearted, but not by all the people. Are you like these people, or are you Truly loving the Lord. Are you here because you love the Lord or whatever else? Only you can answer that. Notice thirdly, we have the removal of Josiah. That was part of life here. Again, Second Chronicles 35 and Second Kings 23, we find it. Josiah uh, listened with a deaf ear. As good as Josiah was, all the things that he did. Here we have a chink in the armor. Do you know your chink in your armor? Your Achilles heel? It's important. 
Listen. Josiah listened with a deaf ear. He finished preparing all the temple. And Pharaoh and Echo of Egypt came up to fight against at um, Carchemish there by the Euphrates. And he went out against him in Second Chronicles 35.20. Necho came up against Assyria, not Jerusalem. Necho was the one who attempted to connect the Red Sea with the Nile by a canal. He was sent a message from Necho, that is Josiah, that he meant no harm to him and warned him not to meddle with him lest he destroy him in Second Chronicles 35.21. Now, he wasn't coming against Jerusalem. We don't have any instruction by God to go out to him. There are some times, men and women, that are used of God tremendously, that for whatever reason of all that God has allowed them to do and accomplish through them, sometimes they get a little ahead of God. And they almost feel entitled. And it's a bad decision. The phrase meddling with God is not in the original there in Chronicles, but it's inserted due to the next verse where he says, you meddle to your own hurt. Okay? So he's warning them, don't come out. He did not pay heed to the warning from the mouth of God. It says, and disguised himself and proceeded to the valley of Megiddo in Second Chronicles 35.22. So in spite of the warnings that God gave him through this pagan king, and God does give warning, we have it all over, whether it be through pagans or Christians. No prayer to God is found as he goes to battle. No concern for the warning is taken. So the outcome is that Josiah loses his life. In Second Chronicles 35, 23, and 24. He was struck by archers and he requested a servant to take him away. For his wound was very severe. And he was taken by a servant into another chariot and removed to Jerusalem where he died and was buried. Second Chronicles 35, 24 says. Now we can argue all about the fact about his disobedience and what happened. The fact is that it's very clear if you look at the text and you read the text, it's very obvious that the message that God is communicating to you and I is that we shouldn't be proudful and move apart from God's direction because it can cost us dearly. Simple. Okay? Regardless of what God has done in my past, it doesn't matter. The only thing the past is good for me is to know that God wants to work the same way in the future, but it can't tell me how he's going to work. So I've got to go to him and not trust my past to work in the same way. Is that clear? Very important. He may have me handle the exact same thing one way back there, 10 years ago. Different way now. Identical. Because he's in control. He loses his life. He probably didn't have to die. Did God not know it? Of course he did. Nothing takes God by surprise. Nothing. Josiah was lamented. Second Chronicles 35, 24, and 25 tell you. He was mourned over all of Judah and Jerusalem. A great king. Incredibly faithful, loyal, loved the nation. Did good for the people. 
He was lamented boastful by Jeremiah the prophet in 2 Chronicles 35.25. Jeremiah loved him. He just wailed. There are some people that have influenced your life and marked your life and you thank God for them. And when they pass, you'll know they'll be with the Lord, but you'll be sorely missed and, and you will think of them. When my father died, he became more alive to me than ever before. I know you guys hear a lot from my brother about my dad. Don't believe everything you hear. Yes, my dad had a drinking problem. My dad was a great guy. My dad would put many Christians to shame. And his responsibility to care for the house, to go to our baseball games, do my gymnastics stuff, take us on vacation, different things. Um, and when he died, it's like he became bigger than life to me. Bigger than life. Because you think and you hear him and you, 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 and you remember all those things that are so important. So the people in the Lord that will mark your life, that are praying for you, that are there for you, to encourage you, to confront you because they love you. He's lamented. He was so lamented that singing men and women spoke of Josiah in their lamentations to the very day, Second Chronicles 35.25 tells us. He was memorialized according to their customs in Israel and recorded in laments. As the scriptures tell us. Incredible. Someone said that death is paying a debt of nature, but it is not paying a debt, but rather exchanging money at the bank. We bring a crumpled note to the bank to obtain at one time solid gold. It used to be gold and silver dollars and that. Certificates in exchange. Not anymore. In a Christian's death, you bring this um, cumbersome body, which you could not retain long. You lay it down and receive for it from the eternal treasure, liberty, victory, knowledge, and rapture. Instantly present before the Lord. This body will be glorified one day. Incredible. What a warning Josiah has to all of us to not trust in ourselves. It's Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. All your ways acknowledge him. Proverbs says it's a way that seems right to a man, but it's the way of death. So we want to make sure that we trust God's word. We always go to God's word. We're good students of God's word. What if God allows you to die some kind of gruesome death, something that's not that pleasant? Would that bother you? Would you be charging God? In 201, February 2nd, I got hit head on on my Harley. Broke my C2 in my neck. I should be, at best, quadriplegic and should be dead. Why did God let me live? I don't know. It's not because I'm so holy not because I'm better than anybody else. It's just a sovereignty. But that's not a bad way to go. Bam. That was it. When you see stuff like that, ooh, they don't feel a thing. I just knew I, I got hit. I saw glass and that's it. But what if God chooses some other way? Are you going to charge him? Let me tell you something. Your body is the temple of God. You are never 
a prisoner in your body. That's a Greek concept. If God allows you to have a stroke for whatever reason, or whatever you describe it, you are there by God's appointment. And when God is through with you, he will take the last breath from you. You are not your own. You've been bought with a price. Don't fall prey to the philosophy and practice of euthanasia that's going on even now in our country and being practiced indirectly in our hospitals. Okay? Or just plain suicide because of the hopelessness of so many young people. When God is through with you, he'll take you home. You cannot remove yourself. Don't be deceived. There's only five suicides in the Bible. I wouldn't want to be one of them. Okay? You have Saul, his armor bearer, a king. You have Ahithophel. You have Judas Iscariot. You want to be one of those? You want to be in that company? I don't give you any hope at all. No murder shall enter the kingdom of God. Don't give me that thing. Well, what if they repent? Also playing games with God now? You're not your own. You'll be the first one at your funeral. You'll die right on time. Don't worry about it. Just live for the Jesus. He'll take care of the rest. He'll take care of the rest. What if God chooses to take you home today? What would people say about you? Would they be happy? Thank God he's out of here. Man, it's about time. I thought he was never going to get out of here. You know that some people feel like that about some people. You know what I mean? Or will they say, man, can't believe he's gone. Pastor Chuck's been gone four years. The 3rd of October. Fast. What an impact that man made in this world. Think of J. Vernon McGee. He's probably more effective than any one of us that are alive. Reaching more people across the world. The Lord has a sense of humor, doesn't he? <laughs> it's amazing to me. Will they remember you? Will they hold the mark? Will they be a lighthouse because of your example? Will they fight? Will they lay down their lives if need be? Because there's nothing more valuable than God's word and that relationship you have with him. Oh, this is what's stagnating and destroying our country, the lack of conviction and understanding about God. None of us deserve heaven, ladies and gentlemen. I, most of all, deserve hell. I don't deserve heaven. By God's grace, he has chosen to shed his grace on us, you and I, as we open our heart to him and he uses us in spite of our failures as we look to him and him alone. 
to reach a very dark and dying world. Your wives, your children, your husbands, your grandchildren, your friends, your co-workers, the stranger on the street. Every generation has that responsibility. The removal of Josiah was part of life. And if the Lord tarries, you will soon be gone. Just yesterday, I was 18, I've told you. I'm running out of tape. Go home and get a tape measure and pull it out. Men, 70 years is average, the Bible says for us. Three score and ten. There's some that live over. So, I'm 67. Maybe 13. I could live to 100. God help everybody else, but you know. Um, <laughs> um, but, but I know that there's more behind me than before me. So you have to live your life by priorities. You have to think clear. You have to be more committed. Because I don't have that much time. And you have to think like that. It's a time of urgency, ladies and gentlemen. Josiah's life is characterized by these three things. The reign of Josiah was godly through faith and obedience. Nothing else will do. The reform of Josiah was wholeheartedly, but not by all the people. Superficiality is not good. The removal of Josiah was part of life. And so tomorrow's promise to no one. So live today to its fullest. Tomorrow has enough trouble of its own. Don't worry about that. God will take care of that. Father, we worship you. We thank you. We love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your mercies over our lives. I thank you for every person here, young and old, Lord. I pray for the youth, Lord, that you deal with their hearts as they make a stand for you and they just seek you and they just live for you. And you would bless them and use them if you should tarry for the next generation, Lord. Lord, we thank you. We praise you. As you're praying, if you're here, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God has brought you here to be saved, to repent of your sins. Maybe you're over the internet or maybe you're out there on the radio, somewhere in the world. Jesus Christ is God who became man, died for your sins and rose from the dead. And he made that payment to the Father. And he said it is finished from the cross. And he justified you before God. So you have to trust on what he did for you. He paid the price of your sin. And if you trust him for making that payment, dying and resurrecting, then you can call upon him and he will make you whiter than snow. He will cast your sins as far as east as the west and bury them in the deepest ocean. And he will make you his son and daughter by grace through faith. But you have to call upon the Lord. He will not force you to go to heaven. You have all the right to go to hell, but you don't have to go there. You can go to heaven. If such is your decision here over the internet or somewhere in the world on the radio, this is your prayer repentance to the Lord as you accept Him as your Lord and Savior. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. 
baptize me with your Holy Spirit. I accept you as my Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.